book of Exodus, or Genesis rather, the book of Genesis chapter 45, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 25. The book of Genesis 45 and beginning in verse 25. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan under Jacob their father. And told him, saying, uh, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. And they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said unto them. And when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have read your word. And now I pray that you give us ears with which to hear. And may the presence of the Lord Jesus be with each one of us. And may we understand the lesson that you have in this passage of Scripture. And for it, we'll praise you and thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Relax. I'm going to tell you a story. It's not a bedtime story to put you to sleep, but it's a thriller to keep you awake. The story that we're going to look at is a rare gem in literature. But it's more than just a nice piece of fascinating history. It's full of information, suspense, and it has a happy ending. The story is a type of spiritual things, a symbol of higher and greater realities. And the lesson that we learn from the story is that God is in control of the affairs of mankind. There are three characters in the story. Two of them are visible. One is invisible. Uh, There is Joseph and Jacob and Jesus. Oh, I know Jesus was not born at this particular time, but he was there. And so you keep those three names in your mind, Joseph and Jacob and Jesus. Let's look first of all at uh, Joseph. As you know, he was the son of Jacob and Rachel. Uh, Rachel was the beloved wife of Jacob Uh, There were 11 other sons beside Joseph, uh, one full brother, Benjamin, and the others were half-brothers. But when Joseph was born, he soon became the favorite of his father, Jacob. And the scripture said that his father, Jacob, made for him a long-sleeved tunic. Now, really, if you study it carefully, it means that it was not only a long-sleeved tunic, but it was a brilliantly colored tunic. It was a tunic that came down to the wrist. All of the men back in those days wore tunics, 
but they stopped at the elbow because the men would need the, uh, be able to work. However, this particular tunic that Jacob made for Joseph was an indication that he would never do any manual work. It was the kind of tunic that was worn by royalty. And when the brothers of Joseph saw that their father had made the long tunic for him, the Bible said they hated him because he was the favorite of their father. Uh, Joseph was also a dreamer. And he had some dreams and he told his brothers the dreams and his father. In fact, there were two of the dreams. Uh, one dream was this. He and his brothers were out in the field and they were cutting grain and tying it together in bundles. And he dreamed that his particular bundle stood upright and all of the other bundles fell down around him. And his brothers hated him because of it. Another day he dreamed a dream and he told it to his brothers and his father. He dreamed that there, were, there was the sun and the moon and 11 stars. And they all bowed down before him. The Bible said his father Jacob rebuked him for that and his brothers hated him. However, Jacob pondered those things in his heart because there was an indication that one day he would be in a position of authority and that the others would bow down before him. Up until this point, his brothers did not like Joseph at all. He uh, would, should perhaps not have indicated his dreams to them, but he did. And his finally, he finally ended up being sold by his brothers. It happened in this manner. When he was a 17-year-old boy, his father called him in one day and said, Joseph, are your brothers attending the sheep? They're cheat, Jim. I want you to go and check on them and see if they're okay. Joseph went. And when he got to Shechem, he found that they were not there. Uh, but one of the locals said to him, I know where they are, they're at Dotham. And so he went to Dotham, and they saw him coming. And they said one to another, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. And then we'll see what happens to his dreams. They conspired to put their own brother to death. But Reuben, the oldest son of Jacob, said to them, No, let's not kill him and bring his blood upon us, but let's strip him of his uh, tunic and throw him in a dry well. And Reuben intended later, when he had an opportunity, to come and draw him out of the well and send him back to his father. And so they stripped him of his tunic and they put him in a well. And then Reuben was gone away for a few hours or maybe all day. And uh, while he was gone, some Ishmaelite slave traders came by. And the other brothers said, well, uh, let's get something out of this. And the scripture said they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Hard-hearted. And then the scripture said they sat down and they ate. It wasn't long before Reuben came, <coughs> came back. <clears throat> and when he came back, he 
heard from them that they had sold Joseph. He was devastated. He said, what are we going to do? And they came up with a plan. <clears throat> uh, they said, we'll take his tunic, we'll tear it in several places, we'll kill a goat and dip the tunic in the blood, and then we'll take it back to our father. Having done this, they made their way back to the father. They held the coat up to him, let him look at it, and they said to him, is this your son's tunic? And of course, he recognized it. Uh, they were indicating that they found it along the way, that he never did arrive in their presence. And the Bible said that Jacob mourned for 30 days, and his daughters and his sons tried to comfort him, but he would not be comforted. He said to himself, I will go down to my grave mourning for my son. What an awful, terrible way for a person to have to live. And then Joseph was taken by the slave traders into Egypt, and he was sold to a man by the name of Pontifer. Uh, he was the captain of the guards of the Pharaoh. And Potiphar had a large household of people working for him. But it wasn't long until he realized that there was something special about Joseph. Uh, the hand of the Lord was upon him. And so Potiphar put him in charge of all of his household. But Potiphar had an evil wife. And she fell in love or infatuated with uh, Joseph, this handsome young Jewish man, and she tried to get him to sleep with her. He said, no, I will not commit this great sin against God by doing that. Day after day, she kept hounding him. And one day when all of the other servants in the household were away, she reached over and grabbed him by his coat he pulled his arms out of the sleeves of the coat and ran. And she screamed that that Hebrew man tried to attack her. The other servants in the household heard it. And when her husband came home that evening, she said to him, that Hebrew that you bought and brought here tried to attack me today. I'm not sure that Bonifer really believed it, because he threw Joseph in prison. Had he really believed it, he probably would have had him executed. But instead, he threw him, he threw him into prison. And it wasn't very long until the warden in the prison uh, realized there was something different about this young man. He was a man of integrity. And so he put him in charge of all of the prisoners all of those who were brought to him, Joseph was over them. And it wasn't very long after Joseph uh, was put in this position uh, that the butler of the Pharaoh and the chief baker of the Pharaoh did something that Pharaoh didn't like. And so they, uh, Pharaoh had both of them thrown into this same prison. And of course, they had to go to Joseph. He was in charge of them as well as the others. It was something like a federal prison 
and not like the common everyday penitentiary that we may have today. Well, after a few days, uh, one morning, Joseph looked at the butler and the baker, and he saw that they were sad. And he said to them, what's wrong? And both of them said to him, we had a dream last night. Both of them dreamed the same night. And it is, it is, is bothering us. And Joseph said, well, interpretations of dreams belong to God, and so tell me your dreams. And they began, and the, uh, the butler said, well, I dreamed that there was a vine, a grapevine, and there were three clusters of grapes on it. And I stood before the Pharaoh with the cup of wine in my hand. And Joseph said to him, the dream is this. He said, in three days, you are going to be restored to your job. And you're going to once again give the cup to the Pharaoh. The baker, seeing that his dream was good, a good one, he said, well, I also had a dream. I dreamed that there were, was a basket of bread on my head. And there were three loaves in it. And then the birds swooped down and, uh, and they started eating on the bread. And Joseph said to him, well... In three days, you're going to be executed. And it came to pass exactly as Joseph said it would. Well, now then, when the butler was restored to his position, he got ready to leave the prison. And Joseph said to him, remember me to the Pharaoh. I'm innocent. Remember me. Speak a good word for me. And he said, you better will, fella. And he walked away, but he soon forgot. Two more years went by, and one day the Pharaoh had a dream. And the next day he had a second dream. And on the first dream that he had, he dreamed <clears throat> that he saw seven fat cows and seven lean cows. <clears throat> and the lean cows devoured the seven fat ones. The next day, he dreamed the second dream. He saw seven fat ears of corn and seven lean ears, and the lean ears devoured the others. And none of the wise men or the magicians in Egypt could interpret his dream. And then the, <coughs> the butler happened to remember. Oh, yes, I remember. In the penitentiary, there was a young Hebrew man that interpreted my dream, and it it came out just exactly as it said. <clears throat> Pharaoh said, send for him. And so they sent for Joseph. Uh, he went to the Pharaoh and said to him, what was your dream? <clears throat> and the Pharaoh related the dream to him. <clears throat> and Joseph said to him, well, the dream is this. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there will be seven years of poverty. A famine is coming. And if I were you, I would choose a wise person and put him in charge of collecting grain during the five years of plenty and storing it up, and then it can be sold during the five years of poverty. When he said that, the Pharaoh said it's a good idea. 
And I don't know anyone in all the kingdom that's wiser than you are. And so Joseph finds himself elevated to the position of prime minister or vice president, whichever is called governor sometimes. He finds himself in a position where all the people of Egypt had to bow down before him and buy grain from him. They had to appear to Joseph. Well, the, fifth, the second year went by of the famine, of the plenty rather, and then came the years of famine. And the famine was not only in Egypt, but it was widespread. It reached over into uh, Canaan. Uh, that's where his father Jacob was. That's where his brothers were. Uh, Jacob found out that there was grain to be bought in Egypt. And so he called 10 of his sons. He didn't send Benjamin, the younger one. 10 of his sons and said to them, I want you to go to Egypt and buy some grain. They made their way to Egypt and lo and behold, they had to appear before Joseph, their brother. But they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. It had been 20 years since they sold him. But now he's dressed in Egyptian garb and he's speaking to them through an interpreter. And he said to them, you men are spies. They said, oh no, we're not spies. We're all honest men. In fact, we're all brothers. And our father Jacob is back in Canaan and we have a younger brother back there. And Joseph said to them, you're spies. I know you are. But I'm going to let you go back home and take the grain, but I'm going to keep one of you as a hostage. And he kept Simeon as one of his hostages. And he said to them, now when you come back, he knew they were coming back because the famine was going to be a few more years. He said, when you come back, I want you to bring that little one, the one you talked about, Benjamin. I want you to bring him along with you. He sold them the grain. They made their way back to Jacob in Canaan. And they related to him about having to meet this strange man in Egypt. And what he had told them. And accused them of being spies. And uh, they said, Dad, uh, he told us when we come back to buy some more grain, we've got to bring, bring Benjamin. Jacob said, never. Never. One of my sons is already dead, referring, thinking about Joseph. Now one of my sons is a hostage in Egypt. I will never let Benjamin go, lest something happen to him. But starvation soon faced them. The famine became more acute all the time. And finally Reuben was able to convince his father Jacob that they must go back to Egypt and buy grain and that they must take Benjamin along with them. Finally, Jacob gave in, and they went back to Egypt and appeared before Joseph again. And the Bible tells us that when Joseph saw his brother Benjamin, he could no longer contain himself, and he went out of the room, and he wept, and the Egyptians heard him weeping. And he invited them to have dinner with him in his home. And they were upset. 
not knowing what in the world was going on. But they went and they sat down at the dinner table. And for some strange reason, Joseph seated all of them and he seated the oldest one on one side and the next one and all the way around. And that bothered them. How did this man know about the ages of all those men? And then he seated Benjamin up near him. And finally, when they had finished the meal, he looked at them and he said to them, I'm Joseph. They were terrified. They remembered the deal that they had made in selling him for 20 pieces of silver. He said to them, don't worry. You sold me, but God sent me. God sent me to preserve not only your life, but to preserve the life of others because there's still going to be five more years of famine. And then he said to them, I'm going to sell you the grain and you go back home and you bring my father and all of the members of this household, some 70 of them, bring them back into Egypt. And I'm going to let them settle in the land of Goshen, a very rich, fertile part of Egypt. And I'm going to take care of you for the rest of the time of this famine. They made their way back to Canaan. Jacob is an old man now, and he's sitting in the tent door looking toward Egypt. And he's thinking to himself, you know, my sons have been gone several weeks now. They should have been back a long time ago. Something has happened to all of my sons. Joseph is no more. And now uh, Simeon is still in Egypt. And all of my sons are gone. What in the world am I going to do? And then all of a sudden he saw a cloud of dust. And he jumped to his feet. And he said, that's my sons, that's my sons. My boys are coming home. And they're getting a little bit closer. And he begins to count them. One, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, nine. There's only nine of them. Only nine. Simeon has been kept in Egypt. And they've also kept Benjamin. And then all of a sudden, they get a bit closer, and he sees Simeon step out from behind a camel. And he said, praise Jehovah. Thank you, Lord. My boys are coming home, but what about Benny? What about Benjamin? And then he sees little Benjamin step out from behind one of his brothers. The old man jumped to his feet, began to praise God. My boys are all coming home. By this time, they're getting within shouting distance of him. And they began to shout, Dad, Joseph is alive. And it scares the old man fainted. Joseph is alive. He couldn't believe it. And he fainted. When he came to, he said, You tell me my son Joseph is alive? Yes, Dad, he's alive. Jacob walked over to the corner of the tent, reached up and pulled down Joseph's old tunic, held it up before them and said, look at it, look at it. 
Do you see the torn places in it? Do you see the blood stains? You tell me my son is alive. And they said, Dad, he's alive. I don't believe it. But then he saw the wagons. He saw the wagons that Joseph had sent. He looked at the drivers and they were Egyptians. He saw the Egyptian seal on the side of the wagons. And when he saw the wagons, he said, my son Joseph is indeed alive. Somebody in Egypt cares about me and it's not the Pharaoh. Evidently, Joseph is alive. I will go to my son. And he made ready to make his way to his son. And this brings me to the third and last character, which is Jesus. Now for some 2,000 plus years, Christian people have been telling the world Jesus is alive. And the world has said, I don't believe it. Historically, I know that Jesus was crucified, but I don't believe he's alive. I don't believe he arose from the grave. He's dead. And he'll stay dead. And we say to them, no, no. Jesus is alive. He has paid the penalty for your sins and mine. He's seated at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for those who come to him. He's willing to save. And the unsaved world said no. Do you have any wagons to prove it? Show me a wagon. Prove to me that Jesus is alive and I'll believe it. Do you have any wagons? And I respond to them, oh yes, I've got several wagons and I'll show them to you. First of all, the church is a wagon. Do you realize that if Jesus had not risen from the dead, there would be no church today? The church is a wagon. You see, on the day of Pentecost, some 2,000 people were saved and they formed the nucleus of the church. The church was not organized. The church was born on the day of Pentecost. It's a wagon saying Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. If you and I had lived back in that day and uh, we had lived in Israel and we are part of the great Roman Empire and uh, I look at the Fastness and the military of the Roman Empire on one side. And then I see this little group of people over here that are calling themselves Christians. And I say to you, which one of these two do you think will survive? And you would have put your money on the Roman Empire and you'd have lost every penny on it. Because within a few years the Roman Empire disintegrated but the church is marching on today and we not only have 2,000 and 3,000 and 5,000 but millions of people around the world as a wagon saying Jesus Christ is alive. Amen. He's living. But then there's another wagon. If you turn over to the back of this Bible you'll find a little New Testament the short book. But do you know if Jesus Christ was still in the grave, there would be no New Testament? Amen. 
The New Testament is a wagon saying Jesus Christ is alive. He's living. And uh, every time you and I read it, I think about it. You know, this little book declares to me beyond a shadow of doubt that Jesus Christ is alive. And then your changed life is alive. It's a wagon. Do you realize that a dead Christ can't save anybody? Unless Jesus is alive, then what happened to you? What happened to you one day when you were lost in sin and you knew you were going to hell and then somehow you were convicted by the Holy Spirit and you trusted Jesus and he turned you around. He saved your life. Every, every changed life is a wagon. A Sunday is a wagon. Uh, You know, the Jewish people worshiped on the Sabbath. That's Saturday. They were taught from their childhood that you were to keep the Sabbath and do no work on it. You were to rest, and on that day you were to worship. And they honored the Sabbath day. They thought it was very special. And yet, on the day of Pentecost, when 2,000 and later 3,000 and later 5,000, a great multitude, they stopped worshiping on the Sabbath and started worshiping on Sunday, the day of the resurrection. Today, Sunday, is a wagon saying Jesus Christ is alive. You know, the Bible tells us that when Jacob... And his sons and their family, some 70 of them, uh, got on the wagons and went back into Egypt. And they settled in the land of Goshen. And then Joseph came to Goshen and took his father up to the Pharaoh and introduced him to the Pharaoh. One day, God's going to send a wagon for you and for me. And we're going to our heavenly Goshen. And when we get there, our heavenly Joseph, the Lord Jesus himself, is going to take us over to the throne of God and say to him, Father, this is Bill, one of your children. This is Mary, one of your children. And he's going to say, welcome home. Welcome home. Are you ready for the wagon? He's going to send it one day. And if you know Jesus as personal Savior, you'll be in his presence forever. But if you do not know Christ, if you've never repented, never invited him to come into your heart, I'm going to invite you to do it this morning. In just a few minutes, uh, we're going to sing just as I am. And as we sing it, if you do not know Christ, get up out of your seat. Randy will be here at the front to meet you, and he'll talk with you. If you need to become a member of this church by transfer of your letter, you come and tell him that. Let's serve the Lord, because one day he's going to send a wagon. Anne-Marie, if you'll come, please. Let's stand together, and as we sing, get up out of your place and come to the Lord Jesus today.